we welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. Romans 8.29, we'll go from there. I just feel like we should just rehash that verse. Again, Romans 8.29, Romans 8.29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Conformed to the ekonos, right? Image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Conform soon, more force. To look at something in, in identity and begin to gravitate from who you are as you came in by the working of the Holy Spirit into who God has made you positionally, that you begin to become realistically. That's the journey of sanctification. That you might become the firstborn of, of conformed to the image of his son, that he, Christ, might become the firstborn among many brethren. That's, that's, that's crucial. That's the whole thing about evolving in nature and character. You see Christ, you act like him. You see Christ, you will talk like him. You see, do you understand? You see Christ, you will think like him. You see, I mean, he just shows up on the bank and he tells his two guys who are, who are doing well in their fishing businesses, come follow me. It wasn't the looks on his face that made them follow. Yeah, yeah. Yes, sir. It wasn't he just looked nice and cute. You just get up and just follow a Galilean. He's not even from their place. Just get up and follow. It wasn't just that he looked nice. There was something that compelled them to come. So in the, in the other instance, he tells them, come and I will make you fishers of men. He even goes as far as ter- telling them that if you cannot forsake father and mother, if you cannot forsake wives, lands, and houses, you can't follow me. And you hear the guys responding and say, Master, we have left all to follow you. There was a draw. There was a pull. There was a desire to ensure that this thing works. Now, a few months or weeks later, he sends them out two by two and then they come back rejoicing because they had understood that this thing worked. Do you remember that? They came rejoicing and they're like, ah, Jesus, even the demons were subject to us in your name. And he says, "Ah, that's good. Don't rejoice about that because that's a given. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The man had not died for their sins, but their names were written in heaven. (laughs) Think about it. He hadn't died yet, but the names of his disciples were written in heaven. Heaven, the place, or heaven, the person who was here now telling you, I'm mindful of you. As long as I'm here, your sins are as good as forgiven. <laughs> I know you by name, Peter. I know you, Simon the Zeller. I know you, Zebedee's sons. Your sins are forgiven your, because your names are written in heaven. I, I, heaven, am mindful of you. So as far as Jesus was concerned, the forgiveness of sins for his disciples was a done deal, even though he was yet to come. That's why he says the son of man has power to forgive sins. You know, the guy that he, the four friends tore the roof and dropped him in, who couldn't walk. Yeah. Jesus looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven. I said, who is he that thinks he has the power to forgive sins? There's a deliberateness, deliberateness to grasp and appropriate, appropriate what is yours in God through Christ. I couldn't overemphasize that. 
such that you, you talk and there's, there's Christ. And your unbelievers looked at them in Antioch and went, these ones, they've been with Christ. The apostles, when the, the high court heard them speak, Peter and James, right? In Acts chapter 4, I believe, Acts chapter 4 into chapter 5, since that, and, 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 and perceiving that they were unlearned men, realized that they had been with Jesus. Realizing that they were unlearned men. Understood that they had been with Jesus. And so we are called to reflect his nature and character. And we're called to do that one more one in thought. We are called to reflect his character and his nature in thought. That's where you would refer to a two-part teaching series we did a few, a couple of years ago titled Help, I'm Losing My Mind. Part one and two, go and listen, listen to it. It will help in your mind renewal process. I mean, we're going to read a scripture on Philippians 2, but this, this, this calls to mind Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, where Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, in view of the mercies of God. Right? Put, up, put, up, put it up in the TPT. Here, Romans 12 and 1. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. See verse 2. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. Through <laughs> a total reformation of how you think. Why is this necessary? Why is this expedient? Because this will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. I've said this over and over. The New King James says, be transformed by renewing of your mind that you may prove that which is his good, perfect and acceptable will. Some people preach them as three dimensions of the will of God. I don't see any such reference to that in the scripture. It's God's will which is good, God's will which is acceptable and God's will which is perfect. There are no three stages to God's will in the sense that God gives you, you come into the, the good will of God. And then you press and press and press and press. You now enter the acceptable will of God. You now press and give and sow and ginger and ginger. You now finally arrive at the perfect will of God. That's ACGC. That's the doctrine of demons. And that's why you expose yourself to the doctrine of demons. All in the name of Jesus. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It doesn't stop there. I've said it over and over, right? We have always preached and stopped there. That's not where the statement stops. And it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove, so that you can grasp his will. The reason why you ought to renew your mind is so that you can understand the will of God as revealed in the person, the message, the system, and the nature of Christ. Are you following me? Because yes, Christ is the person, Christ is the message, Christ is the nature, Christ is the system or the culture. And so it takes a renewed mind to grasp the will of God. In other words, the will of God is as perfectly revealed and therefore walked in in the life of believer to the measure that their mind is renewed. 
Because transformation is mind renewal. Transformation is mind renewal. The degree to which we grow, the degree to which we advance is directly proportional to the state of a person's thinking. Are you following me tonight? It's crucial. So our reflection of the nature and character of God starts with our thought because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Your outcome cannot be divorced from the state of your thoughts. Do you understand what I'm saying? It cannot be divorced from the state of your thoughts. It cannot. It cannot be divorced from the state of your thoughts. The king of Tyre and Sidon, whom some people refer to as Lucifer, that fell, you know, the king of Tyre and Sidon, it was said of him that how thou art fallen. For thou said in thy heart. So he didn't, he didn't actually speak it in his, with his mouth. So what he, the king of Tyre and Sidon, which is a parallel for Lucifer, some people argue that or not, didn't say anything. He just thought. For thou said in thy heart, I will ascend. Five eyes, right? I will make my heel, my heel above that of the Almighty. I will rise above the... I, I, I. He said where? In his heart. And that's why the word of God comes not just to judge what you say, but judges the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hebrews 4. You cannot be divorced from what you... Oh, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. You're not a very serious person. If you keep saying stuff and saying, I didn't mean that. I didn't, that's not what I meant. I didn't mean that. You, you cannot be speaking contrary to what you mean. You cannot. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And says the, the TPT says that this total transformation happens by changing the way you think. That way you can grasp his will. That way you can grasp his will. In other words, an unrenewed mind, an unrenewed mind cannot grasp the mind of the Father. He will not download it in your carnal state. He will not download it into your natural state. He cannot. Against this premise, let's look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. Philippians 2 and 3. In the TPT, the Passion Translation, be free from pride-filled opinions for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts. This is how Paul is telling them how to think. Hmm? Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts. But like, like Dr. Bassi said, as we just read the word, it should just be jumping at you, you know? The word for what it is, for what it says, should just be jumping at you. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts. But in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourself. Does that sound like a suggestion or an, or an instruction? And if the word of God is for obedience and for doing, then that means that this is our marching order. Verse 4. Abandon every display of selfishness. Abandon every display of selfishness. This was Paul writing to a church who were saved by the blood of Jesus. Hello. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. From Paul and Timothy, both of us servants of Jesus, the anointed one, that's Jesus Christ, to all his devoted followers in Philippi, including your pastors, and to all servants, leaders of the church. Is that in your Bible? Yes, sir. I don't know, I didn't paraphrase. I read, 
the TPT. <laughs> Read it again. Philippians 1.1. Some people think I paraphrased. From Paul and Timothy, both of us servants of Jesus, the anointed one, to all his devoted followers in Philippi, including your pastors and to all the servant leaders of the church. Philippians 1.1 in the message. Paul and Timothy, both of us committed servants of Christ Jesus, write this letter to all the Christians in Philippi, pastors and ministers included. Amplified. Paul and Timothy, born servants of Christ, Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed, to all the saints, God's people in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. <laughs> New King James. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints, right? Saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Now go back to Philippians chapter 2 and understand that Paul was not trying, speaking this to unlearned, to, to carnal men. Do you understand what I'm saying? Not to unbelievers. To the church plus their bishops, plus their deacons plus their pastors and ministers and servant leaders. Go back to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4. Abandon every display of selfishness. Was written to who? The church, bishops, overseers, ministers, pastors, deacons, servant leaders. But who were they? Saints. In Christ Jesus with selfishness issues. And Paul doesn't say, Bind every spirit of selfishness. Cast away every spirit. He says, abandon every spirit. Just let it go. In other words, it's not a prayer point. Oh, this is my selfishness. This is my anger. This is my anger. That's the reason why you have it, because you have personalized it. Abandon every display of selfishness. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. Possess, go back, don't, don't, don't rush, go back. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. That's what Christ on display means. That's what being a Christ conscious believer means. Put in the message, verse 4 in the message. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Keep going, verse 5. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. Think of yourselves. Can you see what we're showing you? Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. Switch to the TBT. And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Look at this. Let his mindset become your motivation. Let his mindset become your motivation. New King James, of course, says, let this mind, which being you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's verse 5. So now from verse 6 to verse 11, we start to see the mind that was in Christ Jesus, right? We start to see the mindset that was in Christ Jesus, that should be our motivation. Switch to the message in verse 6. He had equal status with God. That's the mindset of Jesus now, right? Because he was God in every way. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself 
that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Look at it again from the top of that verse. Jesus had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Now, if you have the mind of Christ in you, it consequently means that with all the status you have and all the standing you have and all the pedigree, when it comes to the pursuit of the kingdom and the fellowshipping of the saints, it doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter. Otherwise, bring your chair from your house and sit down in the church because we didn't sit you on a plastic chair that has arms. You know, we sat you on the one that doesn't have arms. Or we didn't sit you in the... You come to church for two hours and where you sit matters to you. Can you see what I'm talking about? There's ministers I, I know growing up, you know, we'll go, we'll go for an event or for a minute. And if you don't clear the front seat to put them in, they're not coming to minister in your program. You don't understand why they should come in and sit at the second row where their boys are supposed to sit or the third row. No. But you know, Jesus told a, 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 an instruction and he says, when you go to a, an event, he said, don't seek for the high table. And he was speaking that both literally and, 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 and allegorically. He said, don't, wait until you are elevated there. Don't go there and seek for attention. That's the mindset of Jesus. Do you know how many times they wanted to crown him king? As tempting as that was. And he disappeared among them. And that's why they eventually disowned him because he was failing their, their, he was falling their hand. This, is, this cannot be the king of Jews now. This is what we prophesied. This guy will come and overthrow the Romans. He had equal status with God. Remember what he said on the cross? He said, do you, think, do you not think I can call my... No, in the Garden of Gethsemane, rather. He said, do you not think I can call my father and he can send legions of angels? He had equal status, but he let that go. Now that is the cross that the believer carries. Not for sin, not for works. Do you understand? But for conformity to the cross of Christ. It's a thought thing. Let's go on. I need to get to verse 11 and move on from here. When the time came... He, Jesus, set aside, go on, set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. He became human, was it? Having become human, he stayed human. <laughs> it was an incredibly humbling process to stay human, to use doors, to travel in boats where you can just disappear and appear. I mean, you are God. You're not just are you God. You are the God by which everything was formed. Do you understand the humility it took for Jesus to subject himself to nature that came about at the sound of his voice? And you hear, you, I mean, I think about these things. You hear, you see narratives like John 4 and Jesus was on his way traveling and he needed to go through Samaria. How did he need to even travel in the first place. How? That Jesus was hungry. Jesus, bread of life. But what was that? The incredibly humbling process of staying human in spite of divinity. The incredibly humbling process. Imagine, remember when they were going to, he was going to wash the disciples' feet, I think it's John 13, and Peter says, ah, you can. Jesus said, the son of man didn't come to, to be served, but he came. To serve. And interestingly, that's the word for ministry. Diakonia, service. From which you get deacons that have now become the leaders in church. 
Do it. <laughs> ah, Lord Jesus. Take us back to where we first believed. He didn't claim special privileges. We're still in Philippians 2.8 in the message. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Verse 9. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever, 10, so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow in worship before this Jesus Christ, go on, 11 of the last verse, and call out in praise that he is the master of all, the glorious honor, to the glory of, glorious honor of God the Father. That was the mindset of Jesus. Do you get that? Yes, it's a mind of humility, a mind of service, a mind of being sold out, a mind of making sure that others came before himself. An event held and for four days Jesus was teaching. And at the end of it, the disciples were ready to dismiss everybody back to where they came from. And Jesus said, no, feed them. And they're like, hey, even if we had 200 denarii worth, of, uh, it would not be enough. And, and, it says, and the writer says that Jesus did this to test them for he knew in his heart what he himself would do. So he fed them the word of life and he fed them bread. Unfortunately, the next day, <laughs> they boarded boats looking for him to feed them, not the word of life, but the bread and fish from yesterday, John chapter 5. But he was concerned. If you read Luke's account of, of, of the narrative of Jesus, you see that everything Jesus did stemmed out of compassion. You see where Luke says, and Jesus moved with compassion, right? Jesus moved by, not moved by anointing, but he was anointed. How God anointed, Acts 10, 32, I believe. How God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and fire. Check it, I think it's Acts 10, 32. How God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and fire who went about doing good and healing the sick for God was with him. God, Jesus was anointed. But it wasn't anointing as it were that was moving him. 38, thank you. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power who went about, Jesus was anointed. But he wasn't moved, as it were, by the anointing as he was by compassion, a heart for people. And so we are sons of God, not if we are, we are sons of God. And so we are sons of God, that means that it behoves us to have the thought pattern and the thought process and the paradigm of our elder brother. Because he's the pattern son. Yes, sir. Are you listening to me? He's the pattern son. It means that with our followership of Jesus is copy and paste. We look at him. That's what Paul says in Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you. Not a type of mind. Let this mind, this is the mind of Christ. And that is the mind that should be in a believer. Our thoughts must reflect the nature and the character of, God's, of God. Our deed should reflect as well. We should be determined that as Christ-conscious believers, our deeds must reflect. We just saw Acts 10, 38. How, what was the doing of Jesus? How God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about 
doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Acts 1 and 1, you see where uh, 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 Luke begins to write and says, before my account I wrote to you, most excellent Theophilus, of all that Jesus Christ began, both to do and to teach. So in doing, in doing we manifest, in doing we manifest, the character of Jesus. In doing, we manifest the evolution, the conformity that we're coming into. Are you following me? We come as we are, like, like, like Ima said earlier, we come as we are and then he, he begins to walk. Oh, I love that statement she made about the Holy Spirit not being afraid of dark places, not being intimidated by, by dark places because that's the, that's the hallmark of creation. Both the first creation and the new creation. Both. The par mark the parallel between creation in Genesis 1 in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God brooded. Come to the new creation on the cross. What happened? Just as that travail was entering its final push, the water had dilated to the maximum and the push was taking place. Water had broken and it was flowing out of him. What happened? Darkness covered the earth. And what did he release after darkness covers the earth? Cover the earth, his spirit. Darkness, spirit, Genesis 1. Darkness, first creation. Darkness, spirit, new creation. So darkness, ah, that is where the Holy Spirit works. That's why it is foolhardy to believe that the Spirit of God leaves you because you fail. If he leaves you, there's no hope for you anymore. Your fall is the end. He doesn't leave, he thrives. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? Yes. Yeah, no, 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 no. He doesn't leave. Well, you felt he thrives. He was like, yeah, come on. Let's do some work. Let's clean this mess up. That's his place. That's his place. And so we're sons of God. We manifest that in the earth as the Holy Spirit helps us. We manifest that in the earth. He went about doing good. Titus 2.14, a scripture that we have come across so many times over the past few weeks. Titus 2.14. Titus 2.14. From 11, talks about the grace of God that brings salvation. Go from 11. Bring salvation appearing to all men. The grace of God that brings salvation. Verse 11, has appeared to all men and that grace does what? Teaches us. Verse 12. That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly. So grace teaches us to flee ungodly lust. Grace teaches us to live Soberly, grace teaches us to live righteously and godly in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope, verse 13, and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, 14 now, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Why? That he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works or zealous, depending on your American or your English. Switch to the TPT, 2.14. He got to do good. He sacrificed himself for us that he might purchase, go on, go on, might purchase our freedom from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people who are his very own passionate to do what is beautiful in his eyes. How does the message put this? He offered up himself as a sacrifice to free us from a dark, rebellious life into this good, pure life, making us 
or people he can be proud of, energetic in goodness. Energetic in goodness. We are designed to do good. Do you understand? The salvation is not the outcome of goodness. Hmm? Goodness is the outcome of salvation. Do you understand? We don't do good to get saved. We don't do good to stay saved. But we inevitably do good on account of being saved. Do you understand? Ephesians 2 and 10. I think I need, yeah, verse 10, but let's go from verse 9. Ephesians 2, 9. No, no, stay in, stay in that. That was, that was the message, right? Stay there. Yeah, Ephesians 2, 9. We don't, go, verse, go from verse 8. I like this. Ephesians 2, 8 in the message. Saving is all his idea and all his work. And, you know, I, put it on, I put it on WhatsApp and Facebook a few days ago that if you if you salvation and you need to do something to keep it and to ensure that you don't lose it, then you shouldn't have bothered accepting it. Yeah. It's pointless. What kind of stuff I heard is that? In this, in this day and age, I'm going to carry it and add upon yourself. You collect something, they told you it was free. <laughs> Every month, and I start coming and collecting co- <laughs> commission. <laughs> what do they call it? Contribution. See, if you don't, that's how you will not contribute. You will lose this salvation. <laughs> then it was higher purchase. Yeah. Yes, sir. Don't you think so? Yes, sir. It's higher purchase salvation. You don't own it. The day you default in your monthly payment, we'll come and collect it. Nobody went. But he, the scripture is explicitly clear. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Saving is all his idea. And it is all his work. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. How does the TPT put this? For it was only through this wonderful grace that we believed in him. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation. For it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. Go back to the message. Saving was all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. Doing is God's gift from start to finish. As a message, verse 9. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we had done the whole thing. This is the message. Now verse 10. No. We neither make nor save ourselves. <laughs> we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and saving. We neither make nor save ourselves. God does, does both the making and the saving. Now see the next part that applies to us. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. The good work he has gotten ready for us to do. Work we had better be doing. It couldn't be any more clear. This is amplified, simplified version of, for you are God's workmanship or God's craftsmanship created 
in Christ Jesus unto good works that God preordained that you should walk in. So guess what, son of God? Part of the hallmark of being saved is that you abound in good works. Don't give us a bad name. 2 Corinthians 9 and 8, I believe, right? I think it's 9 and 8 or 8 and 9. 9 and 8, I think it's 9 and 8. 2 Corinthians 9 and 8. Yes. Um, okay, I've not seen it in the message, but let's, just, let's see what it says. God can pour on the blessings in astonishing ways so that you are ready for anything and everything. More than just ready to do what needs to be done. King James says, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you so that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may have abundance for every good work or may abound unto every good work. And that is why any tree, any, any, any branch that does not bear fruit, the father prunes. No, 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 no. the father cuts off. I, I don't know if I should go into this today. Because you see, the word translated cut off there is actually a Greek agricultural word that means to lift up. Every other time that word is used in the scriptures, it refers to lifting up something. So in vine dressing, when a branch was weak and not bearing fruit, it was said that it was because it's not exposed to as much sunlight and rain as the other branches. So the vine dresser lifts up that branch and stretches it out so that it can receive sunlight and grow. And the ones that are bearing fruit, the Father is pruning. If you read the context of what Jesus was saying, it has no bearing between cutting off in the sense of losing salvation yes, and what Jesus was saying in that place. Yes, There's an error of translation. When you go and study it in the Greek, you see that every other time the word was used, that's what he meant. It didn't mean cut off and go and throw away. Because Jesus had said earlier that anyone that is in me bears fruit. There's three directives in there. There's one who is in me bearing not much fruit. And there's one who's bearing much fruit who gets pruned. And then the third category is those who are not in me are cut off and thrown into the fire. There's three categories. Clear, distinct categories. We'll deal with that <laughs> another day. But Jesus is pruning. He's lifting up. He's exposing you. And that's what the word of God does to you daily. Does that make sense? It's stretching you. Lifting you up. Exposing you to the sunlight of God's word. So that you're able to grow and bear more fruit. Because fruit bearing is part of our, our, our thing as sons of God. Hallelujah. It's part of our thing. We, we, are, we are called to do good works. I'm almost done. In speech, we reflect his nature and character in speech. Reflect his nature and character in speech. Ah, a lot of you are getting tickled by uh, 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 um, that thing I said about <laughs> pruning and bearing up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I can't wait to come to that someday soon as the Lord releases, releases us to do that. I, I did a complete study on that did a complete study because it bothered me the controversy of Jesus' statements coming from where he was coming from to that statement casts a complete aspersion on eternal security. It, it makes a mess of the assurance of your salvation if that you are saved 
but you're not bearing a level of fruit as a saved person. So Jesus will now cut you off. First of all, we have two problems. We have the problem of the vine being the one that is hosting a branch that is not producing fruit. But in a few verses earlier, Jesus said, I am the vine. If you abide in me, you will bear fruit. Mm-hmm. So we have a branch problem and we inevitably have a vine problem because a branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Jesus actually, a branch, yes, Jesus actually said that earlier. He says, of your own, you can do nothing. So how will he turn around now and be expecting the branch to produce fruit apart from the vine? No, the vine has to lift up the branch to bear more fruit. <laughs> just, just a tease, but it might, be, it, might just, it might just help somebody right now who has, who's had that question at the back of your mind. You know, he, some translations have actually corrected that. You know, you know, it says he takes away or he cuts away, you know. And the word is, is kap, iro or kapon in the Greek to lift up. And every other time, look, okay, so that word that's translated cut away or, or removed, that's the word translated where Jesus said, arise, take up your bed and walk. It's iro, lift up. Same word. Yeah, same word. Take my yoke upon you and learn. Take my yoke upon you. Take, lift my yoke upon you. It's the same word, iro. Okay? Um, he came and took, they came and took the body. They picked up, they took up the fragments. Matthew 14, 20. Take up his cross and follow. It's iro. So how does take up your cross refer to Cut away. But any branch in me that is not bearing fruit, he lifts up. He stretches. That's the word kapon from the word iro. I took my time to study it because there's some things that, you know, Paul, Peter says, Peter rather, that says always be ready to give an answer yeah. to those that question you concerning your faith. So he's pruning. He's suspending you. He's stretching you. He's hoisting you. That's the word. He's carrying you. He's keeping you lifted. He's removing anything that is standing in the way of or impeding your ability to bear fruit. So a believer has no excuse to not bear fruit. Is anybody hearing me? Yes, sir. A believer has no excuse to not bear fruit. For those of you that are following and you, have, you're, you feel like that diversion is what, what, what it was for you, the word is iro, a, like air. A-I-R-O. So if you go to Bible Hub, Bob, Bible Hub, type the word Iro, A-I-R-O, and see all the instances of the use of that word in the New Testament. And then come back and read John 15 carefully and tell me how cut off applies to a believer in the vine that is Jesus, not bearing fruit. Because if that's the case, all these Philippians and Ephesians should have all been cut off. The Corinthians should have been born with fire alive. Oh, come on, somebody talk yes, to me now. Yes, Corinthians. Ah, you leave them, call them saints. And come and cut me off. No, now. John 15, 1, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. I am the vine. Jesus is the vine. The father is the one that even looks after this garden. Every branch in me, somebody mark the phrase, in me, that does not bear fruit, he takes away or he lifts up. And everyone that bears fruit, he prunes that he may bear more fruit. He causes the one that is not bearing fruit to bear fruit. He causes the one that is bearing fruit to bear more fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Remember? Yes, sir. It's one message. 
you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken over you. You are already clean. So no, 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 nothing shaking. For abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Are you seeing that? Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. See verse six. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and withered, fruity or fruitless. You'll be cast out and withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned as per wheat and tars. But this is not those who are in. This are if anyone does not abide in me. And to abide does not mean to stay in like by your own effort. It means to be plugged into. If you're not plugged in, nothing for you. That's why he died for the sins of the world and he takes away the sins of the world. But not all the world are sons of God. The whole world is forgiven, but not the whole world is appropriating the forgiveness they have. It's reserved for as many as receive him, John 1, 12, as many as believe him to them, he gave the power to become sons of God. That was for free. <laughs> and that would cause somebody to go back and go and study, right? You go back and go and sit down with John 15. In speech, in speech, in speech, in speech, and then there's, there's one more and I'm done. But do you know right, right? In speech, the character of Christ in speech. Ephesians 4.15. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15. Bear fruit. Bear fruit. A believer has no excuse not to bear fruit. Ephesians 4.15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Speaking the truth. Someone says speaking. So your speech releases or reflects your Christ character. How does, he, how's the, how does the message of the TPT put this? In speech, in speech, in speech, in speech. God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and tell it in love. Christ is everything. We take our lead from Christ who is the source of everything we do. Go on. Uh, back to 15. 15. What was that? The message? What? Yeah, the TPT. Have you, have you showed us in the TPT? Let's see it in the TPT. But instead, we remain strong and always sincere in our love as we express the truth. So what should be on your lips at all times? The truth. The whole truth. And nothing but the truth at all times. We speak truth. We speak truth. See verse 29. Same verse, same chapter. Ephesians 4, 29. And never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth. Mm -hmm. But instead, let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others. Do this by speaking words of grace to help them. The message, 29. Ephesians 4, 29 in the message. Are we together? Stay with me. Don't lose me. Ephesians 4, 29. Watch the way you talk. That's the message. Can we say it all together? Watch the way you talk. There's somebody next to you. You better tell them. Look at them in the eye. Don't smile. Watch the way you talk. Don't smile. Open your eyes at them. Like, let them see your eyeballs. Tell them, watch, watch the way you talk. The way you talk. 
Here's the next the qualifying line. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps. Each word a gift. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out. There's no excuse for speaking vulgar. There's none. There's no excuse for crass jokes. There's none. We are sons of God. You know, we are, we are royalty. We are diplomats. We don't talk anyhow. Is anybody following me? Yes, sir. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a courage that comes with the way we talk. There's a courage that comes with how we sound. We don't, we don't, we don't talk like that. We're better than that. We're sons of God. We are citizens and ambassadors of heaven. We are the character. Remember that? Yes, character of Christ. We don't talk anyhow. Ephesians chapter 5 and 4. The word for, for, for go, go, go to verse 29 in the, in, in the New King James. I'll show you something there. In the New King James, 429. Let nothing foul. The word foul or dirty is the word sapros. Sapros. S-A-P-R-O-S. And it means rotten. The word translated foul. Yeah. Or, or let no profane. Yeah, that word is a word in the Greek sapros. And sapros means for something to be rotten, smelling, stinking, depraved. Yeah, degenerate, useless. That's the word sapros. That's the word sapros. It's no excuse for speaking vulgar. Ephesians 5 and 4. Oh, we're just joking. I just play with the play. No, no, no. We're sons of God. We don't get a day off. Did anybody hear what I just said? No, no, no. We're sons of God. There's no day off. Every on duty all day, every day till he returns or calls us home. We're sons. Now this is why we have boldness on the day of judgment for as he is. So are we in this world. Ephesians 5 and 4, neither filthiness nor foolish talking, sapros, nor coarse jesting. Please switch. Before young people ask me, all this, King James, switch to the message. Ephesians 5 and 4. Look at this. Though some tongues just love the taste of gossip. That's the message. Christians have better uses for language than that. Somebody say amen. amen. TPT. Go, let's, let's finish. Don't talk dirty or silly, the message. Don't talk dirty or silly. That's a pros. Rotten talk. That kind of talk doesn't fit our style. Hallelujah. Do you, do you get what I'm telling you now? That kind of talk doesn't fit our style. See the last line in that verse. Thanksgiving is our dialect. Somebody ought to be excited about that. Because I just told you before seeing this, that we are sons of God. There's a courage that comes. There's a demeanor that comes. Are you following me? There's a comportment that comes with knowing that, hey, my life is hid. I'm, a, I'm a, the host of God. I host God. I host Jesus. I host the Holy Spirit on my inside. There is a particular way I cannot talk even if I wanted to. Yes. In fact, I cannot want to because my mind has been renewed. Yes, sir. Or at worst, my mind is being renewed to the measure of my consciousness of who I am in Christ. You won't talk anyhow. You won't talk anyhow. And Paul repeats this to almost every single church he writes to. See how he tells the, Col the Colossian church in chapter 3 and verse 8. Ooh, Holy Spirit. Colossians 3.8. But you know better now, so make sure it's all gone for good. And he begins to explain to you that you, what you, you should make sure. Who should make sure? You. you yeah. mm -hmm. 
And what should we make sure is gone for good? Bad temper, irritability, meanness. Some of you, you don't know me. Ah, you don't know me. I, my heart, eh? No, 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 no. The writer says, if anyone should boast, let him boast in this, that he, is, that he knows, or rather, that he is known of God. Try me, eh? my mind, get by mind. Don't try me. My mind, eh? get hard mind. He says, let's make sure that now that you know better, that's gone for good. Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, sapros, dirty talk, be gone for good. Hebrews 10 and 23, the writer is talking to the Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 23. Keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. Look at, look at New King James says, New King James says, hold fast, hold fast to the profession or confession. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. The confession of your hope must always, that's all that should be on your lips. Speaking the truth in love, right? Yeah. Speaking the truth at all times. We don't get a day off. Ecclesiastes 10 and 12. Whew. Hallelujah. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.